Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am your host, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. And in doing so, I am two hours approximately away from the United States and Mexican border, South Texas border between our Lone Star State and the people of the sun, Mexico. Mexico is a labyrinthian and complex nation, very large nation, obviously, with a very rich and long history. The oldest of history, actually, would you think about it, besides the Caribbean, in the East meets West colonization mind game matrix that is the modern world. But currently, the sword of progress is double-edged, and the lessons not learned in history are repeating themselves as the violent nature, the extreme disparity between classes, lower working classes, specifically lower rural, rural, agricultural working classes, and urban, educated, rich, wealthy, and even um, political aristocracy of Mexico in the 21st century compounded and magnified only by its 20th century history and exponentially intensified by the boom of the narco trade and its proximity and relationship with both the United States and international shipping and markets so that when I am going to be speaking know that I am not referring to all Mexicans in Mexico but know that also the term Mexican drug cartel is both double-sided and many-layered in itself as labyrinthian as the Mexican people and the Mexican nation They are a mix across all strata of society. And war never changes, for the foot soldiers are the ones doing all the dirty work, the sicarios, at their master's orders, like pawns in a giant bloody game of chess, where the stakes are billions of dollars in narco-revenue, as well as the political domination of 
hundreds of or to thousands of communities with millions of people in those communities. Drug cartels are de facto political syndical syndicalists syndicates, just like mafiosos are in Europe, or they are in Asia, like the yakuza, the bosses of the cartels that are doing the greatest amount of terrorism and evil and carnage and um, you know hostilities crimes against humanity, crimes against the Mexican people, acts of terrorism, uh, without a doubt, the worst and most intense crimes, war crimes, but they are not uniformed, they are uh, paramilitary terrorists, narco-terrorists, to the extreme, Uh, their leadership sits in, you know, the greatest mansions and estates that the nation has to offer their children take political office and attend the best universities. Uh, they are the highest of cultured, uh, as any European aristocratic bloodline is, uh, mixed with the New World, progress and uh, scientific modernism, pragmatism, uh, personal adherence to culture, and, and etc. But so are the leadership of ISIS so is the leadership of um, you know Al-Qaeda so is when you really break it down that's how these structures work and there is no exception to understanding that the drug cartels are terrorist organizations they started out as businesses but now they have morphed into full time terrorist organizations And those giving the orders at the very top are as guilty of running terrorism, as sponsoring terrorism, as anyone in Iran, anyone in Iraq, anyone in Libya, anyone in Africa, Somalia, um, Kenya, Nigeria, etc. And that the global war on terror, specifically the United States war machine when it comes to uh, its special forces its high mobility as well as uh, occupation troops and nation builders strategists need to reorient themselves away from a international stance at suppressing and intervening only against Islamic extremists in the third world such as the Middle East or the far Pacific or Africa instead return to the western hemisphere and with permission or not take extreme measures to handle this situation with extreme prejudice this is not a war against the Mexican state this is not a war against the Mexican peaceful citizens this is not a war against the Mexicans as an identity or ethnicity or as a religious group or as a democratically elected government. It is the hunting and persecution of a terrorist organization that is so severe, it is exceeding that of ISIS in terms of brutality, longevity, funding, organization, capability, skill, growth, 
you know, real world impact and the fact that unlike ISIS, which was literally around the fucking world in the Middle East or in Asia, the Mexican drug cartels are operating two hours away from where I am sleeping right now approximately. And they have done so for the over 40 years where it was so ubiquitous and known that it's so permissive in the uh, Texas culture to understand that it's there but where hands are tied to do any real damage as long as they stay across the border and that the Mexican federales and the Mexican government is so corrupt and powerless and weak that it's been 30 years of constant escalations and basically immunity enjoyed by the cartels and reigning wars of terror that aren't put to an end by the DEA, by the American FBI, or, um, you know, ATF, the international government, like Interpol, uh, that, and the, the training of the U- the Mexican military has been like the training of the Iraq military, has been like the training of the Afghanistan national military, and this kind of vain money expenditure to try to raise a people to be able to defend themselves even though they seemingly are so plagued by corruption and ineptness and and general uh, weakness that it's surprised that they're even that they're only existing because these cartels do not seek to exterminate them or wage a true total war on them because they are actually uh, able to survive by not doing so while still keeping massive amounts of weapons, firearms, uh, mobile, uh, high mobility uh, vehicles such as you know private planes, narco submarines, as well as their armored vehicles, their utility trucks for war, etc. Trained troops have ex-military special force veterans on their payroll. Hire mercenaries. Uh, you know, not only have politicians and lawmakers in your pocket, but also. Uh, draft the citizens, conscript them, as well to do the logistics, the driving, the basically the business end of it, as long as they are focusing on that, then they can get away with everything else because they are still considered just a money-making and somewhat uh, socially stabilizing element in Mexican society, especially in the massive amounts of territory that Mexico really covers and people don't understand this, but Mexico is as long as the United States is, uh, you know, and it, it's absolutely uh, a no man's land and, and middle of nowhere type situation in most of Mexico's northern deserts, uh, western coast all the way down, you know, from from coast to coast on the western Pacific. It's basically a very sparse and technologically primitive and, you know, there's uncontacted Indian tribes, Native American tribes. In the mountains in the west, uh, for example, there's very few highways, etc. So drug cartels generally operate in these areas that Mexico's government even considers uh, just like how America considers its deserts or its Rocky Mountain mountain ranges. You know, like, it, to be honest, it's, it's very easy to... Imagine that a group of outlaws or criminals, especially ones with a lot of money and funding, could easily uh, operate, say, for example, in the Rocky Mountains with near immunity 
just as well as the, the drug cartels are. But there's a cultural reason. Uh, maybe they are. It's just that America doesn't uh, publicize, or they don't. They don't. They're not as aggressive or violent, or at least as public, or at least as image conscious as these drug cartels are. What we're going to be doing is. Uh, now I'm still recuperating on my voice. Uh, I'm just very sensitive about the, the... I don't want to pull vocal cord or anything like that throughout the week. So I try to take it off. I'll try to take it easy. Um, especially this month of August. I generally take a break around August and then maybe again around November. Just because we've been going hard. We've been charging hard uh, right into it. You know, just... just Kicking it right in the fucking balls when it comes to like the, the work schedule, the production schedule. I'm gonna keep doing it, uh, keep working as hard, keep trying to publish episodes every day, uh, multiple times a day if I can get the opportunity. Just take advantage of the creative momentum, right? And it's all for you guys, it's all gonna be free, it's all gonna be available uh, on these multiple platforms like Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, all that good shit. So, yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, public domain audio from a YouTube channel called Disturbed Reality. Play a couple of episodes. They're about 9 to 10 minutes each. Uh, Sometimes 20 minutes around there, you know, on the long end. They're audio descriptions of the classic cartel execution videos. All the gore, the violence described in somber, serious just you know, absolutely as a reaction you know, but but kept very um, dignified you know, given the seriousness and the intensity of what's going on and how it was going to try to, try to explain this to y'all you know, this guy does a greater job than I do and he has a British accent so I know, I know that always works in conveying a sense of gravitas to a situation. He does a great job uh, investigating and providing details on the victims and the uh, perpetrators of the executions and describing the executions in comparison with other videos in, in, in regards to kind of rating them or ranking them. But we're going to be going through the cartel list as much as uh, they have on here specifically about the cartels. And afterwards, if you've listened to enough, you know, to make a decision, because if you listen to all of it, you will inevitably come to the decision that the cartels like Los Zetas, the Gulf Coast cartel, the uh, cartel Jalisco Nuevo Generacion, the Senola, the family Michoacan, the Cartel del Noreste, uh, you know, Knights Templar. These cartels, these drug gangs, are terrorist organizations just like ISIS, just like the Taliban, just like Al Qaeda. And they deserve the full hammer of justice to slam down around their fucking skulls knock their fucking brains right out of their heads and if the Mexican government can't do it 
and they don't want to give us permission to do it. It's proof of corruption at the very highest level. It's proof of cowardice. And while I'm not a globalist, we do share a direct border with them. It's like, well, I'm not a fan of international intervention. I do believe when you share a border with someone, like how Russia dealt with the Ukraine and its burgeoning mafia state, then an invasive popular front with the people's liberation in mind, not a war against the government, but a war against these standing criminal organizations and all those that bear their mark and their loyalty and then to provide lasting security and infrastructural support to help rebuild this land, this nation into one that doesn't have such barbaric you know apocalyptic criminality and can maybe reflect a land of law and order for the good of all humanity so the next time you'll be hearing words will be coming from disturbed reality go look it up on youtube 209-2000 subscribers already disturbed reality excellent I give it 5 stars highly recommend it this first one is going to be the Mexican cartel chainsaw murders a case linked with one of Mexico's most infamous drug cartels. And this involves the capture and murders of Felix Gámez Garcia and Barnabas Gámez Castro. These murders were recorded and uploaded to the internet and subsequently shared by many gore sites online. The victims in the video were Felix <coughs> Gámez Garcia and his uncle Barnabas Gámez Castro. These men in the video worked for the notorious Sinaloa cartel run by Joaquin Guzman better known as El Chapo. The Sinaloa cartel is one of the most recognized in Mexico. It's a large international drug trafficking, money laundering, and organized crime syndicate established during the late 1980s. The cartel is primarily based in the city of Culiacan, Sinaloa. The United States intelligence community considers the Sinaloa cartel to be one of the most powerful drug trafficking organizations in the world. So they are certainly not to be messed with. But let's get back to Felix Gámez Garcia and Barnabas Gámez Castro. The infamous video starts with both men sitting against what appears to be a rundown wall or building. Both men are shirtless and both men have been restrained, with their hands behind their back, either handcuffed or tied up. The video starts with both men being interrogated in Spanish. From what it appears in the video, there are multiple captors, including at least two gunmen, so these men are outnumbered, outgunned and restrained. Now obviously I don't speak Spanish, but I have done some research in regards to what was being said in the interrogation. 
Now there are numerous descriptions out there of what was being said in the video, but after delving forums and Reddit, there are a few descriptions that kind of match each other, so I'll give you the gist of what was going on and what was being said. The interrogation starts as both men identify themselves as Felix Gámez Garcia and his uncle, Barnabas Gámez Castro. Felix Gámez Garcia sold drugs in Phoenix and then was arrested and sent back to Mexico. In Mexico, he was tasked with taking messages to and from El Cholo, which is their acting leader to El Chapo Guzman, which is their real leader, but is in prison. Barnabas Gámez Castro, Felix's uncle, said that he hooked up with the cartel through his nephew and that he just ran errands for them. He was working on getting a three-quarter ton pickup released, which had been confiscated, and had also taken radios to a colonel they had on the payroll. Barnabas Gámez Castro mentioned that the last errand that he ran, he got paid 300 pesos, and in conversions in the UK, that is about £10, and in the US, it is roughly $15. And that is absolutely crazy. When you're taking that sort of risk, you know, risking hard time in prison, or worse, ending up like this, when that's what you're getting paid, man, it's absolutely insane. It really is. I mean, we see media these days, whether it be movies, TV shows like Narcos, they all kind of um, paint the picture a certain way where, yes, they'll point out that that lifestyle is very dangerous and very risky, but they'll also point out how glamorous it is. The money, the cars, the women, the mansions, the parties. They'll kind of glamorise it in a certain sense, but in reality... 99% of people in those cartels, the foot soldiers, really aren't getting any money whatsoever. And they are living a terrible, terrible, dangerous lifestyle for basically nothing. But yeah, back to the interrogation. Essentially, both men went on to say not to steal from the cartel and that if you witness something, just keep your mouth shut and avoid these people. The uncle, Barnabas Gámez Castro, said that he wanted to tell people not to get mixed up in this because it wasn't worth it and he said that he and his nephew's lives were now worthless, and that was all he had to say. So yeah, essentially from the rough translations online, it appears that these men in the video stole from the cartel. A lot of people describe the men in the video as snitches, but that doesn't appear to be the case. It does appear that they were stealing from the cartel, which is hardly any wonder when these guys are getting paid 300 pesos per job. But that is the interrogation in a nutshell. After that, it gets bad, really bad, and before I describe what goes down in this video, again, I would implore you guys not to watch this content, again, it's just not worth it, it does absolutely nothing for you or your psyche. Before I describe what goes on, I'll roughly give you the backstory on how I watched this video. Now I saw this video shortly after it came out, and if memory serves me correct, that was around 2011, or 2012, it was one of those two years. I was definitely still at college, so I would have been around 17 years old. And at that time, you know, I was still going through my edgy teenager phase. And when this video came out, it actually got quite a bit of traction online. Not quite as much as Free Guys One Hammer, which I covered previously, but quite a few people were talking about this online and even amongst each other. But yeah, ultimately I watched this video at college we was all on lunch break and one of my friends got it up on his phone and like the little edgelord that I was back then, I decided to watch it and here's essentially how it went down. As I was previously describing, the start of the video is just the interrogation. 
both men sitting against the wall, being interrogated. Once the interrogation ends, that's when the murders take place. And the first guy to be murdered is the uncle, Barnabas Gamez Castro, and he actually had his head sawed off by a chainsaw. Obviously, that's an extremely brutal way to go. A lot of blood. The blood was actually spraying on his nephew, uh, Felix Gamez Garcia. And yeah, uh, Barnabas Gamez Castro got decapitated by a chainsaw, and it all happened rather quickly. It was all done within a few seconds. So yes, extremely brutal way to go, extremely visceral, but ultimately, it was a quick way to go. A lot of these cartels are known for long, drawn-out and excruciating deaths for their enemies. And some may say that Barnabas was lucky to have his life ended so quickly. I do believe that was for a reason. Obviously, his nephew, Felix Gamez Garcia, seemed to get him involved, and his nephew Felix Gamez Garcia seemed to have deeper ties with the Sinaloa cartel. So Barnabas had his head decapitated by a chainsaw. By the way, the striking thing about this video from what I remember was how nonchalant the guys were in accepting their fate. They wasn't kicking, they wasn't screaming, they basically accepted what was coming to them. So yeah, Barnabas was decapitated with a chainsaw, but unfortunately for him, he didn't have such a quick demise. Bear in mind that he saw his uncle just get decapitated with a chainsaw, and now it's his turn. He gets decapitated, but not with a chainsaw. Felix Gamez Garcia is decapitated with a hunting knife. This method took far longer than the chainsaw. I would estimate that it took around two minutes to complete the job. Throughout this time, Felix Gamez Castro was alive throughout most of it. The captor begins sawing his neck with a hunting knife, and throughout this you can hear Felix Gamez Castro struggle, uh, gurgling on blood, struggling for breath obviously, and the noises throughout the second decapitation in this video were hideous to be honest. That's, uh, that's one thing I remember from this video, watching it way back when. It's the noises of Felix Gamez Garcia that got me, and yeah, there was a lot of blood, and he was feeling every bit of it for as long as he was alive. But eventually they do decapitate him, and they hold his head to the camera and place his head on his torso. And that essentially was the video. It served as a purpose to let the guys in the cartel know this is what happens to you if you snitch and if you steal. And also just a warning in general to anybody who crosses them. The cartels in Mexico record a lot of murders for this reason. And that's why a lot of these murders caught on tape by the cartels are extremely brutal and extremely graphic because they want to send a message to anybody who will mess with them, essentially. And actually, there's a lot of speculation to say that ISIS actually took a lot of inspiration from these cartel videos. That's how hardcore a lot of these cartels are, and there are some gruesome stories out there and some real gruesome content. In fact, we might do a couple of more uh, cartel videos in the very near future. This could be, in fact, a little mini-series Maybe we'll call it Cartel Hell or something. Welcome back to Disturbed Reality. Ever since creating this channel, I've been asked a recurring question. What are the worst cartel videos that you have seen? The truth is, all of these videos are tragic and abhorrently violent, though I've now seen enough of these videos to gauge 
what are the worst of the worst. The sad fact is, however, the situation in Mexico surrounding drug cartels is ongoing and happening in real time. So the reality is, in the coming months and coming years, more graphic content will be released and uploaded online by these drug cartels. So maybe, in a couple of years, this video will be obsolete. We may think that we have seen it all, but maybe in the future, we see even worse. I want to make it clear that this video is in no way a ranking. At this level of depravity, they are very hard to separate. Number one, Ghost Rider. In late summer of 2020, a brutal video found its way online depicting the brutal torture and murder of a suspected Carteles Unidos member. The perpetrators behind the act were Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generacion, also known as CJNG. The video was filmed in the state of Michoacán, just outside the town of Tepalcatepec. Michoacán for several years has been a hotbed of cartel violence, mainly due to its advantageous drug routes, seaports, and even natural resources. In recent years, CJNG have been advancing and fighting for control in the state, not only due to its natural resources and drug routes, but it's also personal for CJNG leader Nemesio Oseguera Cervantes. He was born in the state of Michoacán, and some say he sees it as his divine right to run the state. Naturally, other cartels in the area are not taking too kindly to the attempted CJNG takeover. In turn, violence is spiking in Michoacan. One cartel taking the fight to CJNG go by the name <coughs> of Carteles Unidos, also known in English as the United Cartels. Originally, they went by the name La Resistencia and were formed out of the split between the Milenio Cartel. They had and still have close ties to Sinaloa. During their early years, they fought to expel Losetas from the state of Michoacan, and although Losetas eventually fell by the wayside, a new enemy revealed itself in CJNG. These days, Cartelos Unidos are heavily supported by Los Viagras and consist of a bunch of smaller cartels joining forces to fight the common enemy. Despite being outmanned and outgunned, Cartelos Unidos have made CJNG's life in Michoacan very difficult. However, this is partly due to their close relationship with local military patrols. The violence still ensues to this day. One of the most harrowing examples of such violence is the Ghost Rider video. To fully understand the context of the video, we have to talk about the events leading up to it. During early September of 2020, in the town of El Aguaje, CJNG and Carteles Unidos engaged in a firefight that lasted for three days. 20 people were killed as a result. It's believed that the man in the video, nicknamed Ghost Rider, was captured in the heat of battle and then taken to a ranch in Tepalcatepec. It's believed that Ghost Rider's torture lasted for three days until he was killed. The video opens up and you see Ghost Rider kneeling on the ground, surrounded by several cartel members. At this point, serious damage 
has already been done. The man's face is badly burned due to being covered in rubbing alcohol and then subsequently being set on fire. Before being set on fire, Ghost Rider's face was also allegedly flayed. During the early seconds of the video, Ghost Rider's head is held up by the camera by somebody pulling his hair. His face is then set on fire, which inadvertently sets some of his clothes on fire. Ghost Rider manages to break the grip of one of the cartel members and he rolls around on the floor trying to put the fire out, all while letting out the most harrowing scream and it's hard to describe because it doesn't even sound human at this point. They once again repeat the process, once again holding Ghost Rider up to the camera and setting his face on fire once again. At this point, his face has been completely melted and he has no distinguishable features, though he still has his hair at this point. All whilst this is happening, Ghost Rider begs his captors to kill him. The video then skips forwards and at this point, Ghost Rider's whole head has been completely burnt. His head looks like a red talking skull and at this point his clothes have been badly burnt. They then set his skull on fire and one of the cartel members can be heard saying, just like the movies, the Avenger Ghost Rider, other cartel members can be heard laughing and mocking him. At the end of the video, it seems Ghost Rider has lost the energy to even scream. Instead, he lets out animalistic grunts. This is where the one and a half minute video ends. Bear in mind that the victim was fully conscious throughout. Ghost Rider's real name and identity is unknown. All that is known is that he led a squad within Carteles Unidos. Since the release of the video, a couple of myths have surfaced surrounding Ghost Rider, one of which being the method for his torture was because he did the same thing to other people. That is completely uncollaborated, there is nothing to suggest that. The reason he was tortured the way he was, was merely because his nickname was Ghost Rider, so they decided to make him look like Ghost Rider. The other myth being was that Ghost Rider was involved in another viral cartel execution, which once again, that rumour is completely unfounded. All we know was that he was a bad guy, he worked for Cartelas Unidos, and he was on the front line. But regardless, gore myths aside, it's a horrible video. Number two, the Guerrero Flaying. Released in 2018, the nine minute long video depicts the gruesome murder of two men in the state of Guerrero. The horrific crimes were carried out by Los Viagras. Los Viagras is a cartel that was founded in 2014 in the state of Michoacan. However, since then, they have gained presence in states such as Guerrero and Jalisco. The cartel was created by the Sierra Santana brothers, but is primarily led by Nicolas Sierra Santana, also known as El Gordo. The name Los Viagras originated from an inside joke between the brothers. Due to the excessive use of hair gel by one of the younger brothers with a spiky hairstyle, Originally, Los Viagras started as an auto-defensor group, or a self-defense group. In fact, in 2015, 
They even worked with Michoacan security forces to capture the leader of the Knights Templar cartel, Servando Gomez Martinez, aka Latuta, who was subsequently arrested in February of 2015. With the Knights Templar cartel out of the way, Los Viagras then expanded into the drug trade, first by becoming involved in the production and transportation of methamphetamine, which brought them into a bloody turf war with CJNG, particularly in the Tierra Caliente region, a war which is still going on today. In fact, it's said that Los Viagras actually hold the advantage over CJNG in the Tierra Caliente region. Despite CJNG being the Viagra's main rivals, Los Viagras still have disputes with smaller local cartels in the area, one of which being the Guardia Guerinés, also known as the Guerrero Guards, who are essentially a cartel masquerading as a local defense group. Ever since Los Viagras were founded, the brothers in charge have garnered a reputation of being backstabbers with an appetite for unimaginable violence, the Guerrero flaying video being one such example. Upon the video's release, much misinformation surrounded it. The main myth being was that the older man was a police officer. However, nothing in the video suggests that he was. In fact, it suggested that he was a member or affiliated with the Guerrero guards. As the video starts, two men are seen sitting on the ground with their hands tied up. The younger man has his mouth covered in what appears to be duct tape. The first few seconds of the video is a brief interrogation and then the older victim is beaten with a wooden stick. The man is beaten for a solid minute. This is where the video gets worse. After the man has been beaten, he is then beheaded by one of the cartel members using a small knife. The man suffers for a while, as it wasn't a quick beheading. The worst thing about this, however, is that they make the son watch his father get beheaded, and the screams that he lets out are nothing short of heartbreaking and harrowing. Eventually, they complete the beheading and hold the bloody severed head up to the camera. At this point, the video reaches a new level of brutality. The video then jumps forwards and it shows the younger man, the son, laying on his father's body. The son at this point has already sustained serious injuries. His chest is covered in blood and it looks like he's been stabbed. As the video continues, it's clear to see what Los Viagras are doing to him. The boy instinctively tries to get in the fetal position to defend himself from his attackers. They briefly wrestle with the boy to restrain him and expose his chest. A Los Viagras member is using a knife to remove the boy's skin and flesh from his torso. Now this is incredibly graphic and hard to watch. The boy seems to be drifting in and out of consciousness as his chest is being flayed. To prevent him from going unconscious, a cartel member slaps him repeatedly. When he is conscious, he lets out terrifying screams. After a few minutes, the boy's skin and flesh from his chest to his lower abdomen has been completely flayed. His intestines can be seen protruding out of his body. Once the boy's chest has been completely flayed, the cartel member using the knife 
then creates a cavity in the boy's chest, making a hole to get to the heart. He is fully conscious throughout all of this. After a while, they get to the heart and cut it out. The heart, which appears to be still beating, is then briefly held up to the camera and then stabbed into the victim's lifeless body. And that is where the video ends. Number three, sponsored by Adidas. In 2020, CJNG published a gruesome video depicting the murder and partial cannibalism of a victim. It's unclear as to which cartel the victim was associated with. However, going by the audio, the victim was from Tepalcatepec. Since CJNG's creation in 2010, and ever since their rapid rise to power in the subsequent years, one tactic that is commonly used by CJNG is hyperviolence and brutal executions, many of which they film and upload to social media to scare rivals and scare the public. To make things even crazier, one of the acts of violence that CJNG use is cannibalism, which is carried out by their Sicarios. Not only do CJNG see it as a good way to scare their rivals, but the Sicarios themselves see it as a way to ingratiate themselves into CJNG even further and to pledge their allegiance to El Mencho, who runs the cartel with a cult of personality. As mentioned, the video was released in 2020 and is around one minute long. The title of the video, sponsored by Adidas, originates from the attire in which the killer is wearing. He's wearing an old school Adidas cap. As the video starts, you see the victim laying on the ground on his back. His hands have been tied behind his back and he's wearing nothing but underwear. He also has a chain around his neck. He is surrounded by several cartel members. As the video starts, the man wearing the Adidas cap pulls out a huge combat knife. He plunges it in the victim's chest as he screams. Then he cuts vertically down the victim's chest, which creates a huge cavity, exposing the victim's organs. The victim is still conscious, though due to extreme pain and blood loss, it appears that he goes into shock. With the victim's chest cut open, the Adidas cap-wearing cartel member reaches inside the victim's chest and starts <coughs> rummaging around with his organs. He locates the victim's lung and grabs it. He then takes the knife and cuts a piece of the victim's lung off. To make matters worse, he takes the chunk of the victim's lung, removes his face covering, and puts it in his mouth and starts to chew, and he eventually eats it. As he does this, his fellow cartel members cheer, laugh, and whistle. The camera then pans to the victim again, and he is still conscious. You can see his lungs expanding and deflating, popping out his chest. It's extremely graphic. As the video ends, the cartel member with the knife continues to cut the victim's chest open, and that is where the video ends. When this video was released, one misconception was that it was the victim's heart which was being eaten, which I actually thought as well when I first saw this video. However, it is indeed the victim's lung, which is devoured by the CJNG member. 
I also believe that this was the first cartel cannibalism video. Before this was released, there were rumours of cannibalism going on within cartels. However, this video confirmed those rumours. The video is extremely bloody and extremely graphic and offers you a true insight into the sheer depravity of CJNG. Number 4. CJNG Dismemberment It's hardly surprising that CJNG features so heavily on this list. As an organisation, they understand how important social media is to their image and also to recruit as well as to spread fear by uploading their gruesome execution videos. A tactic that was popularised by Los Zetas several years ago. When it comes to CJNG, many in the so-called gore community will bring up videos such as Ghost Rider or sponsored by Adidas as being their worst. However, one video that doesn't get as much attention despite its brutality depicts the savage dismemberment of an alleged Los Viagras member. The video is just over two and a half minutes long and is filmed during the middle of a night in a wooded area. A naked man is seen laying on the ground with his hands tied behind his back. He also has a chain around his neck. The victim is surrounded by two CJNG members and the brutality ensues immediately. One of the cartel members is holding the victim's right leg to keep him still, whereas the other cartel member, who is holding a knife, takes the victim's left leg and starts cutting him at the knee. As the victim screams in agonizing pain, his left leg at the knee is dismembered in a matter of seconds. It's clear that the man performing the dismemberment has done this before. He then takes the severed leg and starts beating the victim with it. The cartel member takes a few seconds to admire his work and also plays up to the camera before moving on to the victim's right leg. Once again, the same process is followed. His leg at the knee is completely dismembered in a matter of seconds. And once again, they beat the victim with the severed leg. It's worth mentioning that the victim remains fully conscious throughout the whole video. They briefly take a second to pose with the victim's severed limbs. They rest them on his torso. They then turn the victim over so he's laying on his stomach and naturally they start dismembering his arms. They cut at the shoulder and start with his left arm. At this point the victim starts screaming again. He's still conscious and is feeling every second. At this point they move on to his right arm and start cutting. The victim at this point is still conscious but has stopped screaming and instead is groaning. It's almost like he's lost the energy to scream. As his right arm is being dismembered, he also talks to his torturers, telling them no, no, no. The video then cuts forwards, showing a brief interrogation of the victim before he met his demise. He has a chain around his neck and he's clearly been beaten. And after the short interrogation segment, that is where the video ends. I felt it necessary to include this case on this video, as every other case is highly discussed and highly talked about within the gore community. However, for whatever reason, despite its brutality, this video seemed to go under the radar. The best way I can describe it is as the worst cartel video that nobody talks about.
number five, Funky Town. Released in 2016, Funky Town has gone on to become the most infamous cartel video online and one of the most infamous gore videos in general. As the years have passed since Funky Town's release, a dark lure has developed around the video. When it comes to most graphic cartel videos, it's usually very easy to ascertain which cartels are responsible and, in many cases, who the victim is associated with. However, when it comes to Funky Town, this isn't the case. There are more questions than answers. The Funky Town obsession isn't just due to the graphic nature of the video, but mainly the mystery surrounding it. The video is just under three minutes long. As the video starts, a bloody man can be seen laying on the ground with several cartel members surrounding him. The filming location is unclear, though many speculate that it was filmed in a nightclub back room. The white tile flooring is puddled with blood. The cameraman moves closer to the victim and you can see the full extent of his injuries. His arms have been bound together in front of his chest, though his hands have been cut off. The skin on the victim's face has been completely flayed and his eyes have been gouged out. It's incredibly graphic. One of the cartel members is trying to slash the victim's throat with a sickle. Instinctively, the victim tries to get in the fetal position to protect himself. They reclaim control of the victim and hold him still so that they can resume the torture. They switch to a box cutter and once again start slashing the victim's throat. The victim responds by letting out a blood-curdling scream, which almost doesn't even sound human. To shut the victim up, they ram the box cutter blade into his mouth and instinctively he bites onto the blade. Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses can be heard playing in the background. They ram a broom handle into the victim's mouth to muffle his screaming and to pin him to the ground. They continue slashing his throat with the box cutter as the victim tries to scream. The slashing continues for a while, but then the victim starts to violently struggle on the ground. He's sliding in his own blood as the cartel members try to keep him held down. The song Funky Town then starts playing in the background. Towards the end of the video, the victim manages to break his arms free from the rope. Instinctively, the victim tries to touch his non-existent face with his non-existent hands. One of the cartel members can be heard whistling along to Funky Town, and at the end of the video, the man with the box cutter starts stabbing the victim in the armpit, and that is where the video ends. The video itself doesn't give many clues in regards to who the victim was or who the perpetrators were, though one of the cartel members can be heard saying, you chose the wrong side. What is for certain is that the video was filmed in Mexico. The men in the video are speaking Spanish with Mexican accents. In fact, from what I've been told by people I trust, they seem to think that the accents are from the Michoacan or Guerrero region. 
cartels such as CJNG, Los Viagras and La Familia Michoacana operate in those areas along with a whole host of others. Due to its graphic nature, many speculate that this is a CJNG video. However, if I were to hazard a guess, I would say that's not the case. One thing about CJNG, when it comes to these videos, they love to pat themselves on the back and let everybody know who they are. However, that isn't the case with this video. There are no references to any criminal organizations. In fact, I do wonder whether this video was ever intended to be uploaded online. Because the reality is, these types of videos are uploaded by cartels for propaganda. And ultimately, if we don't know who the perpetrators are in the video, then it's pretty useless propaganda. So I do wonder whether the person filming maybe sent the video to some associates and subsequently it got shared around and then found its way online by accident. It's certainly possible. Since Funky Town's release, myths have developed around the video. The main one being that there is a longer version available. According to some online, the extended version is anything from 6 minutes to 11 minutes long. However, these claims are not substantiated by any evidence. I myself have done extensive research into this case and have spoken to people with their ears close to the ground in Mexico and as far as they're concerned, this mythical longer version does not exist. The reality is, in recent years, Funky Town has become the most popular topic in gore and if this longer version did exist, I'm sure somebody would have found it by now. All in all, I find it highly unlikely that we will get any answers in regards to the Funky Town video, but ultimately, time will tell. Anyway guys, uh, with this one, I think I always say that. Now, this particular topic is actually quite interesting because this one, I think potentially is a lost media case. Essentially, the video in question is a cartel execution video, which includes an execution of a man and a child. Now, the child in the video is thought to have been only 10 years old. And, um, yeah, that in itself is deeply disturbing. Now, the perpetrators involved in this video were the infamous CJNG cartel. I've actually made a couple of videos previously touching on this cartel, in particular my video on Ghost Rider, so if you want to know a bit more about CJNG and their practices, watch my video on Ghost Rider and you'll get a grasp of what these guys are about. Essentially, CJNG are one of the most powerful cartels in Mexico. They are actually widely believed to be the second most powerful cartel in Mexico after the infamous Sinaloa cartel. But during the last 10 years, the CJNG have taken the Narcos world by storm. They are known for their sheer brutality and executions, a lot of which they actually film and upload to the internet, basically to spread fear among their rivals. So yeah, in short, the CJNG are not to be fucked with, and at this point, I should probably start paying these guys royalties because I'm mentioning these guys a fair bit in my videos. But yeah, let's now actually talk about the disturbing media involved in this case. The video in question was initially published by the Mexican news agency, Reforma, who leaked the video that Mexican authorities found in the cell phone 
of Heriberto Acevedo Cardenas, also known as El Gringo, who was a top commander with the fearsome CJNG cartel. Acevedo died in a firefight with authorities on the 23rd of March 2015 with three of his bodyguards. The footage was leaked in the summer of 2015. In fact, this video at the time could even be found on YouTube. But as years go by, the video in question is increasingly hard to find, though you can find numerous screenshots of the video in question. You can also find short clips of this video online, but I can't seem to find the full video that was released at the time. So to be honest, I'm not sure about the status of the full video still being online. Maybe it is, but I cannot find it. So potentially this is also a lost media case, but let's briefly talk about what actually happens in the video. Now I watched this video at the time, and while it is certainly disturbing, it's definitely not one of the worst cartel videos out there. In fact, it's rather mild for cartel standards. Please bear in mind, I am describing this video by memory. I might get a couple of details wrong here and there. I've not seen this video since 2015, so it's been a long time, but nevertheless, let's get into the video. Now, the video in question depicts the execution of two males, one adult and one child. Now, according to my research, neither victim was identified, but the child was believed to be as young as 10 years old, which is fucking tragic, to be honest. From what I remember, the video starts with the child, and the child has his hands tied behind his back, and a stick of dynamite basically duct taped to his neck, and obviously the child is in a lot of distress, he's terrified, he's crying, and to me this is the most disturbing aspect of this video, it's the child's reaction, knowing what's going to happen. It's horrifying, honestly. Now luckily, the actual execution of the child was not released by the Mexican news agency Reforma. They only showed the clip in the lead up to that, but they did confirm that they had possession of the clip which depicts that execution. Nevertheless, the video moves on to a man. Now to be honest, I'm not sure whether the man and child are related, whether they are father and son or uncle and nephew. You know, those videos have actually been filmed by the cartel in the past most notably in the Guerrero flaying video which I covered, you know, that was a father and son scenario. But to be honest, I'm not sure whether that's the case for this video. We can only speculate. But nevertheless, the video moves on uh, to the man, and he's basically had dynamite duct taped to his chest. The video then skips forwards, and, you know, you can tell that the guy's been tortured, his face is all bloody. He's definitely been beaten up badly at this point, and, in fact, some reports indicate that he was indeed shot. You know, he was screaming in pain, etc. And then they light the dynamite, move away, wait for the explosion. You can see the explosion in the distance, and once the explosion goes off, uh, the guys cheer and celebrate, essentially. And, um... Yeah, that's the video. I mean, in terms of, you know, cartel videos, it's certainly not one of the most graphic. To me, the sad thing about this video is with the child, you know, just his reaction to what was happening. I thought that was heartbreaking. But there's really not too much gore in this video. Um, once the explosion does go off, they are quite some distance away. All you really hear is a big bang and you see a big cloud of smoke, essentially. That's all you see once the dynamite goes off. You can't see body parts fly everywhere or anything like that. It's a low-quality video, but um, it's still definitely disturbing to a certain degree. And it goes to show, man, if there's a way to kill somebody, 
the cartel have done it, man. I mean, they do everything from limb removal, blowing people up, shooting people in the head, removing organs, burning people alive. I mean, if it can kill somebody, the cartel have done it. Those guys are all absolutely insane. And, you know, content like this makes you realize how big of a failure the war on drugs has been. It's been a failure for decades, countless lives lost, countless lives ruined. And, you know, from what I hear, it's not getting any better, it's getting worse. So, all in all, to me, the whole situation down in Mexico is incredibly sad. Obviously, with the cartel content, it's not nice seeing people get butchered to death. It's not nice, but the thing I, the thing I always think about is the innocent people who are basically drawn into this drug war, um, whether it be cartels, recruiting people against their will, civilians getting killed in the crossfire, uh, civilians being extorted by cartels and, and local businesses being extorted by cartels. I, I, you know, I always think about the people who are on the ground, you know, just trying to live their daily lives, you know, working hard, trying to provide for their families, and this is going on around them. I can only imagine how, how horrible and terrifying that is. So my thoughts go out to all of the people affected, but not directly involved. Um, something about this situation needs to change quick it really does but um nevertheless i hope you enjoyed this video expect more content in the future right now i'm just trying to upload once a week if i can do more eventually i will do but um we're taking it slow with this channel i've got a couple of video topics in mind a lot of you guys have asked me to cover sponsored by adidas an infamous cartel video um, I will actually do that video in the near future. I'm also looking at doing a video on the Dagestan massacre and also another video on disturbing lost media. So I've got some ideas in mind uh, and... Welcome back to Disturbed Reality. Today once again we're delving into the cartel world. More precisely, a video that depicts the brutal execution of four women in relation to the horrific war between the Gulf Cartel and the Los Aitas. The war between the Gulf Cartel and the Los Aitas was one of the worst in Narcos history. Many atrocities were caught on video, in particular executions of cartel members on both sides. Some of these horrific videos can still be found today. But anyway, let's get into a little bit of backstory, and we should start from the beginning. The Gulf Cartel, or Cartel del Golfo, is one of the oldest and most established criminal organizations in Mexico. The Gulf Cartel is believed to have been founded in the 1930s, and they still operate to this day. The cartel is based in Tamaulipas, and in the early 1930s, their smuggling operations began. Originally, they smuggled alcohol and other illegal goods into the USA. But once the Prohibition era ended, this certainly didn't end the Gulf Cartel. Like any good business, they merely diversified. The group moved into controlling gambling houses, prostitution rings, a car theft network, and other illegal smuggling. As the decades passed, the criminal organization became stronger and more established. But it wasn't until the 1970s that the cartel skyrocketed in growth. Under the leadership of Juan Garcia Abregu, the cartel turned from a minor criminal organization into a multi-billion dollar drug trafficking organization. By the 1980s, 
Juan Garcia Abregu began incorporating cocaine into their drug trafficking operations. During this time, Abregu managed to establish a working relationship with the infamous Cali cartel. By working together, they controlled the majority of cocaine shipments coming out of Colombia. During the 80s and 90s, the cartel was seen as one of the biggest and most richest in Mexico. In fact, during the 1990s, the cartel was estimated to be worth over 10 billion US dollars. In 1995, Abregu was placed on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. The net was closing in on Abregu, and on the 14th of January 1996, Abregu was arrested outside of a ranch in Monterey. He was then extradited to the USA, where he stood trial eight months after his arrest. Abregu was convicted of 22 counts of money laundering, drug possession, and drug trafficking. An incredible $350 million worth of assets were also seized from Abregu. He's currently serving 22 life terms in a US penitentiary. After the arrest of Abregu in 1996, there was a power struggle at the top of the Gulf Cartel. Many members vowed for the position of leader. It wasn't until 1999 where a new leader was finally established. The new leader of the cartel was Othiel Cardenas. Once his takeover was complete, he earned his nickname Mata Amigos, which translates to friend killer. He earned this nickname after assassinating Salvador Gomez Herrera, who was actually a friend of Osiel Cardenas at the time. But friendship came second to Osiel Cardenas. With Herrera out of the way, he could take control of the Gulf Cartel. After Cardenas took over the Gulf Cartel in 1999, he found himself in a fight to keep his leadership of the Gulf Cartel intact. Because of this, Cardenas sought out members of the Mexican Army Special Forces to become the military armed wing of the Gulf Cartel. His goal was to protect himself from rival drug cartels and from the Mexican military, and also to perform vital functions as the leader of the most powerful drug cartel in Mexico. Little did he know he was creating an even bigger monster. As the years passed, the Los Atos reputation grew within the Gulf Cartel due to their efficiency, military know-how and brutality. Los Atos was named after its first commander, Arturo Guzman de Sena, whose Federal Judicial Police radio code was Z1, a code only given to high-ranking officers. And as I mentioned earlier, many of the Los Atas were high-ranking police officers and also military personnel. So essentially, they would use the Z radio code. So, for example, Z2 pendente, so Z2, I'm on alert. And essentially, that's where the name came from uh, due to the radio code they was using. But as I mentioned, after the years passed, the Los Atas grew in stature and in 2003, the leader of the Gulf Cartel was captured and subsequently in 2007, he was extradited and sent to the USA where he's now serving prison time. After this, the Los Atas continued to grow in stature within the Gulf Cartel and eventually, the Los Atas faction were making more money than the actual Gulf Cartel. Because of this financial imbalance, the Los Atas decided to go it alone they believed they no longer needed the Gulf Cartel, and as a result, a brutal war ensued. The rise of the Los Atas really introduced the militaristic aspect to the cartel world in Mexico. They really did up the stakes and up the brutality. In fact, dare I say, they more than likely inspired other cartels to follow a similar formula. I mean, you look at the CJNG today, they are eerily reminiscent of the Los Atas cartel in terms of how organized they are, the weaponry they have at their disposal, and the skilled fighters they have in their ranks. 
they seem to be following the Los Atos playbook. But yeah, as I said, a brutal war between the Los Atos and the Gulf Cartel ensued, and many people were killed on each side. Regular shootouts, execution videos, pure brutality. One of the most shocking examples of the brutality at the time was a video depicting the execution of four female Gulf Cartel members by the Los Atos. The video was released in the early 2010s. Essentially, the large group of Los Atos have the four women kneeling down on the ground, three of which are actually topless. And at the start of the video, essentially the Los Atos just interrogate the female Gulf Cartel members. Now, I can't find any full transcripts of what was said online, but essentially the women were just admitting who they were affiliated with. And funnily enough, in this video, apparently the Lusators actually praised the female's honesty, and they then kind of turned around and said to the Gulf Cartel, you guys are a bunch of pussies, pendejos, for putting women in this position. But unfortunately for the women, their honesty did not stop their brutal demise. And also, funnily enough, there's actually some gore crossover in this video. Now, the woman on the far right in pink, who dies the slowest, she actually apparently starred in her own gore video, where basically a dude was decapitated and then his face was removed from his head. You can actually find that video online, but to be honest, I've seen it. The quality really isn't all that great, and it's really hard to make out what's going on. But um, apparently she starred in that video, hence why she seemed to get the slowest death. And also, apparently the oldest woman out of the group was a lookout for the Gulf Cartel, and one of the other women was apparently the niece of a high-ranking Gulf Cartel member. But anyway, after the interrogation, the women are kicked to the ground and the executions ensue. The methods of the executions were via decapitation, and they certainly didn't make it quick. The executions were carried out with knives, machetes, and axes also. Um, another striking thing about this video is when the axe is used to decapitate a couple of women. Like, the sound the axe makes is exactly the sound it would make if it was just cutting into wood. Just a thudding chop noise. And yeah, they were hacking away, slicing away, chopping away with axes, machetes, knives, until all of the women were decapitated. As I mentioned, the woman on the far right had the longest execution, and again, I'm presuming that's because she did something similar, I'm presuming to a Los Atos member. But yeah, after the women were decapitated, then the Los Atos moved to essentially dismembering the women, cutting the bodies up into pieces, and this is when they really used the axe, hacking off the arms, the legs of the women, essentially until they had a pile of body parts. And that's where basically the video ends, as they're halfway through dismembering the women. And yeah, it's definitely a graphic video, no doubt about it. That's what you expect from these cartel guys, especially the Los Atos who were really going on a tear in the early 2010s. And this is just one of those examples of that. They have numerous videos online depicting similar acts. In fact, there's a similar video to this when they decapitate some dudes, hack them up into pieces, and basically put their body parts into acid drums. So yeah, the Los Atos were really going hard in this time period. So yeah, it's definitely not a nice video to look at, and I wouldn't recommend that you guys watch it. Again, one, the one thing that really strikes me with this video is how the women actually took their fate, how they accepted it. There was hardly any screaming, any struggle, 
they basically just accepted their fate. Maybe they was drugged or maybe they just realised the end of the road was there and they couldn't really do anything about it. But um, that is definitely the thing that sticks out with me in regards to this video. When I watch these videos, sometimes I think to myself, how would I react in that position if I knew my time was up and I was going to um, demise in a really brutal way? I'd imagine I'd cry like a bitch, but um, hopefully I never have to find out, put it that way. But Welcome back to Disturbed Reality. Before I start this video, I wanted to thank Luis for suggesting this brutal case. I would describe it as an OG cartel video. It was released in 2011, and it came out at a similar time to the Chainsaw video, of course, which is arguably the most famous cartel execution caught on camera. And I remember back in the day looking for that Chainsaw video on Best Gore, Live Leak, etc. And I would see this video under the suggested. I would see the thumbnail, the title, but a 17-year-old me was always too scared to click on it. So I never actually watched this video at the time. But upon making this channel, I always intended to go back and watch it to cover the case, but I could never find it. So shout out to Luis for sending me this video. I put on my big boy pants and I watched it. But before I describe the video, as always, I wanted to go into a little backstory and information surrounding the video. And the research for this one has been a bit harder, mainly because this video was from back in the day. So information isn't quite as readily available, but I'll do my best and will present what I've found. After a little bit of research, I found that the cartel most likely responsible was the Beltran Labour cartel. And the reason I came to this conclusion was because in the actual video, there was a track playing in the background and it's referred to as a narco corrido, which essentially is a song dedicated to a specific cartel or cartel leader. And from what I was told, the song in the background was dedicated to the Beltran Labour cartel. So I think it's safe to assume that they were the perpetrators in this video. Now, I've not actually found any information which points to who the victim was affiliated with, but back in the day, the Beltran Labour cartel were rivals with the La Familia Michoacan, the Gulf cartel, MS-13, and even the Sinaloa cartel. So the victim could very well be affiliated with one of those criminal organizations. But in regards to the Beltran Labour cartel, they were once one of the most powerful cartels in Mexico. The cartel was headed by the five Beltran Labour brothers, Marcos Arturo, Carlos, Alfredo, Mario Alberto, and Hector. Originally, the cartel was founded as a branch of the Sinaloa cartel. The Beltran Labour cartel was responsible for transportation and wholesaling of various drugs, including cocaine, heroin, and marijuana. The cartel controlled numerous drug trafficking corridors, but they didn't just rely on the drug trade. They also engaged in human smuggling, money laundering, extortion, kidnap, and gun running. Born in the Sinaloan countryside, the Beltran Labour brothers, Arturo, Carlos, Alfredo, Mario Alberto, and Hector, worked closely with their cousin, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, the leader of the Sinaloa cartel. In 2004 and 2005, 
Arturo Beltran Leyva led powerful groups of assassins to fight for trade routes in northeastern Mexico for the Sinaloa cartel. Through the use of corruption or intimidation, the Beltran Leyva cartel was able to infiltrate Mexico's political, judicial and police institutions to feed classified information about anti-drug operations. They even managed to infiltrate the Interpol office in Mexico. During the early to mid-2000s in particular, the Beltran Labour brothers were a huge asset to the Sinaloa cartel. But eventually, tensions began to rise between the Beltran Labour brothers and Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. During early 2008, the leader of the Beltran Labour organisation, Alfredo, was arrested. This was a huge blow to the Sinaloa cartel, as he allegedly oversaw large drug-scale smuggling operations and was a key money launderer for the cartel. In apparent revenge for the arrest of his brother Alfredo, Arturo ordered the assassination of the Commissioner of Federal Police, Edgar Eusebio Milan Gomez, and other top federal officials in the Mexican capital. One group of these hitmen was captured in Mexico City in a house with dozens of assault rifles, pistols, grenade launchers, 30 hand grenades, and bulletproof jackets bearing the legend of FEDA, the Spanish acronym for Special Forces of Arturo. Apparently, the Beltran Labour brothers blamed their partner, Joaquin Chapo Guzman, for their brother's arrest, and in retaliation, they ordered the assassination of Guzman's son, 22-year-old Edgar Guzman Lopez, which was carried out in a shopping centre by at least 15 gunmen using assault rifles and grenade launchers. The impact of Alfredo's arrest not only undermined the long-term alliances of Sinaloa, but also resurrected animosities between rival cartel leaders Joaquin El Chapo Guzman and Arturo's new allies, the Juarez Cartel, and provided the catalyst behind the bloodshed in Mexico's most violent city, Ciudad Juarez. The Beltran Labour brothers and those loyalists who departed the Sinaloa Cartel with them allied with the Los Aitas. In early 2010, the Beltran Labour Cartel and the Los Aitas engaged in a violent turf war against the new alliance integrated by the Gulf Cartel, Sinaloa Cartel and the La Familia Cartel in the border city of Reynosa, Tamaulipas, rendering some border towns as ghost towns. As the years went on, the Beltran Labour brothers lost influence, Arturo died and eventually the cartel separated into independent small groups. So the Beltran Labour cartel are no longer around today, but their bloody legacy lives on. And one example of that is the video in question. But anyway, I'm sure the burning question for you guys is what happens in the video? The video opens up with a guy hung upside down and he's completely naked and it looks like he's surrounded by four or five cartel members who are wearing combat gear and some are heavily armed with assault rifles. And as I mentioned, the video has been dubbed with a narco corrido, which is a cartel song. And as I said, the video begins where a dude is hung upside down by his legs and immediately one of the cartel members gets what appears to be a, a butcher's knife and he begins slicing away at the victim's junk. He's basically holding his junk in one hand and slicing away with the other with a knife. And as this is happening, the victim is flailing around violently. Now, as I said, the video has a music track playing over it, so it's hard to hear what's going on, but you can hear faint grunts, growls, and screams as this is happening. Eventually, they do remove his junk, and the dude who did it then threw his junk into a plastic box below his body which was there to collect blood. 
once the guy's junk has been removed, that's when they move on to the decapitation, and once again it appears by using a large butcher's knife, they begin to slice away at the guy's neck, and blood immediately begins to pour into the yellow box below his body, and they're slicing away, hacking away, and at this point in time, the life has basically left the victim's body, and they proceed to continue with the decapitation, that slicing, hacking away, and eventually they remove his head, which they hold up to the camera, as they always do. Once the head has been removed, and after it's been held up to the camera, the song in the background actually stops playing, so at this point in time you can hear what is going on in the background, and for the remainder of the video, it's basically the cartel guys just starting to dismember what is left of the victim's body and they start by hacking away at one of his arms and they hack away at where the arm meets the shoulder and every single time they swing and hack you can hear the sound it makes and it's like a cracking noise it's certainly not a pleasant sound and once the victim's right arm has been removed you can see the cartel guys then throw it in a black bin liner after that they then repeat the process with the left arm and once the left arm has been removed that is when the video ends. And all in all, this was a very brutal video, and certainly one of the more brutal cartel videos out there, certainly all the time. And ultimately, it's a video that I wouldn't recommend that you guys search out. As I mentioned, I remember this video being available at the time. I never watched it at the time, but I was always curious about it, so I felt it was a good video topic for the channel. But um, nevertheless, Hopefully you guys enjoyed this video, if you can enjoy this sort of content, and yeah, any other ideas, any topics in mind, please feel free to share those in the comments below, as I would consider anything. Welcome back to Disturbed Reality. Today's video topic is a case in which many of you have requested in the past few months. We go back to the channel's bread and butter, covering the vicious brutality of drug cartels in Mexico. Today's case stems from the war between the Gulf Cartel and Los Zetas, a war in which raged on for five years, from 2010 until 2015, when Los Zetas split and fractured into different organizations, one of which being Cartel del Noreste. Despite Los Zetas' overwhelming firepower and manpower, it was the Gulf Cartel who finally won the war. At the end of the day, Los Etas bit off more than they could chew. Their tactics of paramilitary hyperviolence and narco-terrorism, while effective at battling rival drug cartels, would prove to be their undoing. The unprecedented levels of violence carried out by Los Etas caught the attention of the Mexican government and law enforcement. Los Etas, not being the types to back down, openly challenged the Mexican government in various states across Mexico. But as the years passed, more and more cartel leaders within Los Zetas were captured and arrested, which eventually led to the organization's fracture and split in 2015. If you have followed this channel for any length of time, you are fully aware of Los Zetas' origin story. But briefly, for new viewers, Los Zetas were originally formed in the late 1990s by the Gulf Cartel. The mid to late 90s were a tumultuous time for the Golfos. This was mainly due to longtime leader Juan Garcia Abregu being captured in January of 1996. 
he was subsequently extradited to the USA shortly after. In turn, this created a power vacuum at the top of the Golfo organization. Many high up members were vying for power and to take control of the organization, one of these individuals being Osiel Cardenas. Eventually, after much internal struggle, Osiel Cardenas took control of the Gulf Cartel in 1999, though many within the organization were unhappy with Cardenas being the leader. In fact, his takeover was somewhat hostile. To gain full control of the organization, he assassinated close friend Salvador Gomez Herrera, aka El Chava, who was a co-leader of the Gulf Cartel. He earned the nickname Mata Amigos, which means friend killer. In a bid to keep his leadership untouched, Cardenas sought out members of the Mexican Army Special Forces to become the military armed wing of the Gulf Cartel. His goal was to protect himself from rival drug cartels and from the Mexican military, as well as to perform vital functions as the leader of the most powerful drug cartel in Mexico. <coughs> Among his first contacts was a man by the name of Arturo Guzman de Sena, a highly skilled army lieutenant who was reportedly asked by Cardenas to look for the best men possible. Consequently, Arturo Guzman de Sena deserted from the armed forces and brought more than 30 army deserters to form part of the new paramilitary wing of the Gulf Cartel. Cardenas enticed them with salaries that were much higher than those of the Mexican army. Among the original army defectors were Jaime Gonzalez Duran, Jesus Enrique Aguilar, and also Heriberto Loscano, the latter would become the leader of Los Etas. The creation of Los Etas brought in a new era of drug trafficking in Mexico, and little did Cardenas know that he was creating the most violent drug cartel in the country. Between 2001 and 2008, the organization of the Gulf Cartel and Los Etas was collectively known as La Compania, in English, the company. Truth be told, Los Etas were incredibly useful for the Gulf Cartel. Due to their military expertise and tactics, the Zetas secured new drug routes for the Gulf Cartel, in particular in 2003, when the Gulf Cartel sent Los Etas to Tamaulipas to eradicate the Los Chachos gang, who were a group of drug traffickers under the orders of the Milenio Cartel. By this point in time, Osiel Cardenas had entrusted Los Etas with much responsibility, but time and time again, they delivered. Things started to change, however, on the 14th of March, 2003. Then Gulf Cartel leader, Osiel Cardenas, was captured by authorities after a shootout in Matamoros. At the time, Cardenas was on the FBI top 10 most wanted list, and they offered a bounty of $2 million for his capture. During his incarceration in Mexico, Cardenas managed to maintain control of the Gulf Cartel and more importantly, Los Zetas. However, this changed in 2007 when Cardenas was extradited to the USA. At this point in time, much like the late 90s, there was a power vacuum at the top of the Gulf Cartel. In conjunction with this, Los Zetas at the time had gained such a reputation that they felt they deserved to say in who would be the next Gulf Cartel boss. In fact, they wanted Heriberto Loscano, 
for Zeta's leader to be the new boss of the Gulf Cartel, tensions grew between the Gulf Cartel and Los Zetas. Then, in 2010, Los Zetas decided to go it alone. They no longer needed the Gulf Cartel. They had drug routes, they had influence, and they had manpower. Naturally, the Gulf Cartel didn't take too kindly to this, and this marked the start of the war between Los Zetas and the Golfo organization. What made the Zetas so powerful and so successful was their military expertise and tactics. However, in the late 90s, the Zetas recruited a man by the name of Miguel Trevino Morales, and unlike his Zeta counterparts, Miguel had no military background. Despite this, as the years passed, Miguel, due to his ruthlessness and brutality, impressed his Zeta commanders. He rose through the ranks of the organization, and then leader of the Zetas, Heriberto Lascano, entrusted Miguel Trevino Morales with much responsibility. However, by the time 2010 rolled around, Miguel Trevino Morales made a play to become the new leader of Los Zetas. Although this created some internal infighting, the majority of the Zetas supported Miguel. Some say Miguel Trevino Morales took full control of the Zetas organization as early as 2010, whereas others say he actually took full control in 2012 when Heriberto Lascano was gunned down by the Mexican Navy. Miguel Trevino Morales would go on to become arguably the most violent narco boss that Mexico has ever seen. But who was Miguel Trevino Morales? Miguel Angel Trevino Morales was born on the 18th of November 1970 in Nuevo Laredo, Tamaulipas. His parents, Rodolfo Trevino and Maria Arcelia Morales, created a large family with six daughters and seven sons, including Miguel. Like many families along the US-Mexico border, the Trevino family traveled from Mexico to the United States and vice versa, where they brought properties and opened several businesses. During Miguel's early years, his family were relatively successful. However, Miguel's father soon abandoned the family, forcing a young Miguel to single-handedly raise the whole family. Naturally, the abandonment of his father left him bitter and resentful. Subsequently, Miguel grew up in a lower-class neighborhood in Nuevo Laredo, and because of his family's financial struggles, he seeked work. In particular, he would seek work from the wealthy. He would do chores such as mowing the lawn, gardening, cleaning cars, and cleaning gutters. It was honest work, but this is where Miguel was introduced to the criminal underworld. Turns out, Miguel did chores for the local drug dealer, Hector Manuel Sorceda Gamboa, aka El Caris, who later became his mentor. Hector was a high-ranking member of the Gulf Cartel. Shortly after, as a teenager, Miguel began to work for a local gang by the name of Los Tejas, a gang that ran the criminal activities in his hometown of Nuevo Laredo. Initially, he was given menial tasks such as washing cars, running errands, and stealing car parts in Nuevo Laredo. Eventually, Miguel Trevino Morales turned to the drug trade, starting with small-scale drug retail sales and smuggling. He was now making good money in Nuevo Laredo and grew the reputation of being a capable trafficker. 
Trevino Morales grew up disliking Mexico's class disparity and developed so much resentment as to partially explain his violent behavior as an adult. In the early 1990s, Miguel Trevino Morales frequented Dallas, Texas with his family. In 1993, he was apprehended in Dallas County and charged with avoiding police arrest after he had tried to lose the cops in a police chase. He paid a $672 fine and was subsequently released from the county prison. Few details are known of Trevino Morales' life in Texas. The US authorities believe he learned about power, money and weapons and the vast consumer market for illegal drugs while living in Texas. They also believe that he perceived an anti-Mexican bias among Americans and especially towards Mexican immigrants like him. However, Trevino Morales considered Dallas a home from home because of his large family network that lives in the surrounding areas. According to US investigators, the last time Trevino Morales visited the Dallas area was 2005, where he entered the United States illegally. After growing his reputation in his native Nuevo Laredo, Miguel Trevino Morales was recruited by the Gulf Cartel and Los Etas in the late 1990s. They hired him due to his experience moving contraband across the border. His fluent English and his criminal contacts on both sides of the US-Mexico border allowed him to gain trust of then leader of the Gulf Cartel, Osiel Cardenas. Upon working with Los Etas, Miguel was given the alias Z40. Around 2005, Trevino Morales became the regional boss of Nuevo Laredo and he was in charge of fighting off the incursions of the Sinaloa cartel, which was attempting to take control of the smuggling routes in the area. By 2006, the Gulf Cartel and Los Etas managed to defeat the forces of the Sinaloa cartel in Nuevo Laredo. Sinaloa concentrated its efforts in northeastern Mexico, becoming more dominant there. Los Etas, at this point, started to expand into other criminal activities beyond drug trafficking. Under Trevino Morales, the organization smuggled immigrants into the United States, carried out extortions and kidnappings, sold bootleg CDs and DVDs, and intimidated and killed residents who failed to cooperate with them. Trevino Morales remained in charge of Los Etas in the state of Nuevo Leon until March of 2007. He was reassigned to the coastal state of Veracruz shortly after high-ranking Zeta's leader, Efrain Teodoro Torres, aka Z14, was killed in a gun battle at a local horse race. By 2007, then-leader of the Gulf Cartel, Osiel Cardenas, was extradited to the USA. It was around this time when the Zetas started to push for independence from the Gulf organization. 2008 would prove to be a pivotal year for Miguel Trevino Morales. In February of that year, Los Zetas leader, Heriberto Lascano, sent Trevino Morales along with a Zeta squad to kill rival drug traffickers and take control of the drug trafficking routes in Guatemala. Reportedly, he carried out a military-like ambush that resulted in the death of the Guatemalan drug lord, Juan Jose Leon Ardon. An unnamed US official said that Trevino Morales may have been the man who fired the bullet that killed the drug kingpin. After the successful mission, Trevino Morales was appointed by Heriberto Lascano as the national commander of Los Etas, essentially 
the Vice President, a position that was traditionally reserved to Zeta's members with a military background. In this position, Trevino Morales had a say in nearly all of the decisions Lozetas made at a national level. In turn, this created some resentment among old generation commanders of Lozetas, who unlike him, had been in the Mexican armed forces before turning to the drug trade. By 2010, Lozetas had then split from the Gulf Cartel and were at war. At this time, in 2010, Miguel Trevino Morales made his play for control and power and by 2012, he was in charge of Los Etas following the death of Heriberto Lascano. Miguel Trevino Morales ruled with an iron fist. He bribed and intimidated officials to help maintain control and responded to any challenges to his authority or control with brutal violence. Miguel Trevino Morales was feared by everyone and very few journalists dared to write about him. He was alleged to have a favourite torture method known as El Guiso, which means in English, the stew, in which people are stuffed into an oil barrel, doused with gasoline or diesel fuel, and then set on fire to burn alive. His violent behaviour gained him the notoriety of a cult figure. He reportedly survived gun battles unharmed. He avoided making alliances with anyone. He dismembered dozens of victims while they were still alive and dumped them and he seemed unafraid to die. Los Etes members claimed that Trevino Morales enjoyed driving around in the city, pointing at people randomly and saying, kill this one and kill that one. A former hitman who worked for him told the press in 2013 that Trevino Morales could not sleep at night if he didn't kill somebody that day. He also said that the drug lord would ask his victims how they wanted to be killed. Journalist Alfredo Corchado wrote in one of his books that Trevino Morales enjoyed eating the hearts of his victims even while they were still beating because he believed that doing this would make him invincible among his enemies and authorities. Miguel Trevino Morales also reportedly coordinated several violent attacks throughout Mexico including the 2010 San Fernando Massacre where 72 migrants were murdered as well as the 2011 San Fernando Massacre where a further 193 people were also killed. Miguel's depravity had no limits. In fact, there's a rumor that Miguel Trevino Morales killed a baby belonging to a rival cartel member the method of murder in which he used was to put the baby in a microwave. Again, that rumour has never been collaborated. However, given the type of person that Miguel was, I wouldn't be surprised if it was true. Under the leadership of Miguel Trevino Morales, Los Zetas engaged in a fierce war with the Gulf Cartel. The levels of violence were unprecedented. Ultimately, the rise of Los Zetas shifted the narco world into what we see today, hyperviolence, paramilitary tactics, and narco-terrorism. In the early 2010s, truth be told, Los Zetas were having great success in the war against the Gulf Cartel, but what they couldn't contend with was the pressure from law enforcement. High-level Zeta commanders were being captured, and eventually, on the 15th of July 2013, Miguel Trevino Morales was apprehended by the Mexican Marines in Nuevo Leon, near the border of the Tamaulipas state, at around 3.45am. It's said that not a single shot was fired. 
Miguel Trevino Morales, however, wasn't extradited to the USA. He is currently serving his time in a prison in Michoacan. Following Miguel's arrest, the pressure was on the Zetas. Miguel's brother, Omar, would take over and run the organization, though he himself was arrested and captured in 2015. At this point in time, the organizational structure of the Zetas was completely destroyed and subsequently they splintered and factured into different groups, the most notable one being Cartel del Noreste. In my opinion, when it comes to narco bosses, Miguel Trevino Morales is certainly the most interesting. Ultimately, he thrived in the narco world. His power and influence allowed him to express his barbaric tendencies. But nevertheless, let's get into the gore segment of the video. As mentioned, this particular case was recommended by many of you. In fact, some said that this was the worst Zethers video that they had seen. And honestly, I can see why. It's certainly not for the faint of heart. Upon playing the video, at the start, you see three men kneeling on the ground. They have their hands tied behind their backs and they are blindfolded. I would estimate that the victims are in their late teens to early 20s. They are surrounded by eight heavily armed Sicarios, all wearing combat gear and carrying assault rifles. They belong to Los Zetas. It's worth noting that this video is shot during the middle of the day and it appears that they are in a cornfield. The first minute and a half of the video is your standard cartel interrogation. The victims give their names and confirm that they work for Cartel del Golfo. It also sounds like they confirm which plazas that they work in. At around the minute and a half mark, the executions ensue. They start with the victim who's wearing a white shirt. One of these Zetas pulls out a combat knife and starts slashing the victim's throat. The victim lets out a brief but guttural scream. Blood pours and stains the victim's white shirt. After his throat has been slashed, he is pushed to the ground. At the same time, the victim wearing the red shirt gets the same treatment from another cartel member. As the Zeta tries to slash the victim's throat, the victim instinctively tries to tuck his chin to protect his neck. His screams are honestly amongst the worst I've heard. They are long, they are drawn out, and they are harrowing. As this is happening, the guy wearing the white shirt is now being decapitated by an axe-wielding cartel member. The man wearing the red shirt continues to get his throat slashed as he screams and screams and screams, until eventually the screams turn into a bloody gurgle. At this point, the man wearing the white shirt has been completely decapitated and his head is held up to the camera. As the victim wearing the red shirt is bleeding out, he then gets the same treatment. They take the axe and begin the decapitation. All while this is happening, the victim in the middle, wearing the dark blue shirt, remains untouched. And that is where the video ends. I have heard a lot of speculation that the Zetas in this video actually allowed the guy in the middle to live. However, I can't find any evidence to collaborate that. That is just what I've heard online. How true that is, I'm not sure. But when I was recommended this video, I kind of thought that I'd seen it all in regards to drug cartels. But this video really got under my skin, I can't lie. The screams in this video are amongst the worst I've heard in a cartel video or in any video 
in general. They are harrowing, uh, in particular from the victim in the red shirt. Honestly, it's a really tragic video because these guys were quite young. I would say late teens to early 20s, as I mentioned. And it's all well and good saying, well, they knew what they were signing up for and they might have done similar things to other people. So why does it matter? But in reality, we don't know that. We don't know the circumstances of the victims involved. I mean, it's well known that drug cartels forcibly recruit people to join their ranks. You know, it's a tactic that cartels have used for many years, which is why I try to cover these cases with some sensitivity. Um, but yeah, it's a really horrible video. I'm not exactly sure when it was from, but I would say it was in the early days of the war between the Gulf Cartel and Los Zetas, maybe 2011, 2012, something like that. But um, yeah, I... Welcome back to Disturbed Reality. Funky Town, the Guerrero Flame and Ghost Rider are among the most well-known and notorious cartel videos on the internet. However, in reality, these are merely a drop in the ocean in a sea of obscene and graphic content surrounding drug cartels. The tactic of the narco execution video was arguably born in 2005 when Edgar Valdez Villarreal, aka La Barbie, shot four Zeta members on camera with a revolver. He sent the videotape to a Texas newspaper, and subsequently afterwards, the video soon made the rounds online and went somewhat viral. Since then, a whole host of graphic and brutal videos have been recorded and uploaded by various drug cartels, though some have been lost in the deep dark archives of the internet, which is a topic in itself. One video that seemed to be lost was an execution video filmed by the Gulf Cartel, which depicted the brutal murder of four alleged Los Santa members. The video was said to be recorded on the 18th of July 2014 in an unknown forest in Mexico. At the time that the video was recorded, the war between the Gulf Cartel and Los Zetas was coming to an end. Both sides had suffered numerous losses. However, Los Zetas had extra pressure from the Mexican government and law enforcement, as well as battling the Golfo hit squads. Some say the authorities helped the Gulf Cartel to eradicate the Zetas, essentially seeing that they were the lesser of two evils. At the time of the video, the Zetas encountered losses at the top of the organization. The original Zeta leader, Heriberto Lascano, was dead. Miguel Trevino Morales was in prison, leaving Miguel's brother Omar as the cartel leader. Though, much like Miguel, he didn't have any previous military background, something in which the original Zeta commanders had, which is why they were so effective in their early years. In a sense, the appointment of Miguel Trevino Morales and later Omar was the beginning of the end for the Zetas as they were once known. Omar would only have a short spell in charge of the Zetas before being captured on the 4th of March 2015 by Mexican Marines. This marked the end of the Zetas' organizational structure. They subsequently split into different factions, such as Cartel del Noreste, the North <coughs> Cartel, and Los Zetas de la Vieja Escuela, 
be set as old school. Neither organization have yet reached the bloody heights of the original Zetas, though Cartel del Noreste have been making themselves known through the sheer brutality of their armed wing, Tropa del Infierno, the troops of hell. In regards to the Gulf Cartel, since the war with Los Zetas, although they are still one of the biggest criminal organizations in Mexico, with influence in numerous states, they do not carry the same clout and power in which they once had. In recent years, the Golfos have been contending with infighting and fractures. Los Pelones, a faction who were originally part of the Sinaloa Federation, but left in 2012 due to the death of Arturo Beltran Leyva and subsequently joined, in their words, the Honorable Gulf Cartel. They believed that the Beltran Leyva brothers were double-crossed by Sinaloa kingpin Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo. They could no longer trust him. As a result, they left the organization and went independent for a little while before joining the Golfos. Though, in June of 2020, it was reported that Los Pelones had left the Gulf Cartel and were independent once again. The reason for their departure was the infighting amongst the Golfo organization. As of right now, the Sinaloa Cartel and CJNG exert more power than the Golfo organization, though it is said that the Gulf Cartel and CJNG currently have a working relationship which could prove to be very interesting because as of right now, CJNG and the Gulf Cartel's longtime rivals, the Sinaloa Federation, are ongoing in a brutal war, in particular in the state of Zacatecas. It is possible that the Golfos become invested in this war in the coming weeks and months. We shall see how that plays out. In regards to the video in question, I actually believe that it relates to another video in which I've covered on my channel, that being the beheading of a 15-year-old Honduran boy by the Gulf Cartel. The boy was connected to the Losetas organization, or in particular, his mother was. His mother ran a hotel in which housed Losetas Sicarios on their missions. Upon finding this out, the Gulf Cartel kidnapped the 15-year-old boy, interrogated him, and then beheaded him. In the interrogation, the boy gave up information on his mother, who she was, who she worked for, and where she worked. It said that the mother was later captured and dismembered by the Golfo organization. The reason I bring this up is that the setting in this video I'm covering today looks identical to the setting in the video with the 15-year-old boy. Another similarity between both videos is the voice of the interrogator. To me, they sound identical. Also, in regards to the interrogator, in the video with the 15-year-old boy, the interrogator is wearing a black mask with yellow flame patterns, and in this video in which we're discussing today, it appears that he's wearing the same mask, although it's very hard to tell due to the camera quality in the second video being a lot worse. At the very least, I believe the same crew of guys are responsible for both videos. It's also worth noting that both videos seem to have found their way online on the exact same date, the 18th of July, 2014.
So it's potentially possible that the woman executed in this video was somehow related to the 15-year-old boy. Is it possible that she was the mother? It may be worth looking into further, but nevertheless, what happens in the actual video? Upon playing the video, you see four suspected Los Angeles members kneeling on the ground with their hands tied behind their backs. Three of the victims are men, and there is one woman. The woman has been stripped naked. The setting is a wooded area, and the victims are surrounded by Gulf Cartel members, all of which are dressed in tactical gear and are heavily armed. The first couple of minutes of the video is your standard cartel interrogation. They all confirm that they work for Los Zetas. In fact, one of the victims states that he's a tax collector for the Zeta organization. The interrogator with the axe accuses the four Zetas of kidnapping and killing kids. He asks one of the Zetas, how many children have you kidnapped? To which the Zeta replies, I've lost count. He's then asked by the interrogator, do you cut them to pieces? To which the Zeta does not respond. Upon completing the interrogation, one of the axe-wielding Gulf Cartel members makes one final statement. He says the following, Look, take a look, assholes. We really do grab creative people. We don't grab dumbasses. They don't have any use. We really kill those Zeta assholes. We don't kill innocent people, and we don't kill kids, dumbasses. Get out of here, idiots. Come fuck with us. Ariba Cartel del Golfo. This is where the interrogation ends, and the violence ensues. The four Los Angeles members are pushed to the ground, and then three Gulf Cartel Sicarios, carrying axes, hack them to death. This whole sequence lasts around three minutes, and you can hear the Zetas groan in pain as they are being struck with axes. The sounds of metal hitting flesh and bone creates a wet thudding sound. Eventually, one by one, these Zetas are decapitated, and at the end of the video, one of the Gulf Cartel members then holds two heads up to the camera and says, here's your little Zetitas, assholes, and then he throws the heads to the ground. Needless to say, this is an extremely graphic video, and the nature of these executions were just frenzied. It's quite an unknown video, you can only find it in a couple of places, but very graphic, to say the least. I am pretty convinced that the crew in this video are the same guys who beheaded the 15-year-old boy from Honduras, which is quite ironic really considering they say we're not the type to kill kids. Ultimately, we all know that's BS. I would like to thank Slime Mao on Twitter for helping me with the trans- Welcome back to Disturbed Reality. The story of Comandante Raider Reyes and Comandante Diablo is a complicated, yet brutal one. Two men, who were high up in the Los Rojos faction of the Gulf Cartel, they were especially violent in their pursuit of money and power. Raider Reyes, which translates to the King of Kings in English, was a commander in the Los Rojos faction, and Comandante Diablo being his second in command. In the early 2010s, the Gulf Cartel's war against their old associates, Los Zetas, was in full swing, with Los Rojos in particular taking the fight to the Zetas. Despite the ongoing brutal war, 
Raider Reyes, its focus was to become the Golf Plaza boss of the city of Reynosa in the state of Tamaulipas, though he didn't get his wish. Instead, and much to his dismay, he was sent by his Golfo superiors to command cities such as Camargo and Ciudad Mier, which were both bloody battlegrounds, areas where the fight against Pazetas was heating up to boiling point. Instead, the position of the Reynosa Plaza boss was given to Samuel Flores Borrego, aka Metro 3, by the then Golf Cartel leader, Jorge Eduardo Costilla Sanchez, aka El Cos. Samuel Flores Borrego was a leader of Golf Cartel faction Los Metros, and it's believed at the time that the then Golf Cartel boss favoured Los Metros over Los Rojos. Naturally, this caused increasing tension between both factions, tension which would turn into a war. Once the war had broken out, Los Rojos cut ties with the Gulf Cartel and allied themselves with Chapo Guzman and the Sinaloa organization, whereas Los Metros remained loyal to El Cos and the Gulf Cartel. Simultaneously, Los Rojos were fighting the Zetas and Los Metros. Comandante Raider Reyes, furious over missing out on control of Reynosa, put a price on Samuel Borrego's head and withheld from Rafael Cardenas, the nephew of former golf boss Osiel Cardenas, Borrego was eventually tracked down and killed. On the 2nd of September 2011, two bodies were found shot multiple times in an abandoned Ford pickup truck on a Reynosa highway. One of these bodies was presumed to be Samuel Flores Borrego, and DNA testing eventually confirmed that Flores Borrego, the Reynosa Plaza boss, had been killed. At this point, the violence between Los Metros and Los Rojos intensified, though due to support from Sinaloa, Los Rojos held their own against both the Zetas and Los Metros. In fact, the link-up between Los Rojos and El Chapo of the Sinaloa Federation was publicly confirmed on the 2nd of April 2012. A video was released and it started off with the following message. Comandante Diablo, Comandante Raider Reyes and El Chapo are planting terror in Ciudad Victoria. Watch out Zeta assholes, we are coming for you. The video then takes a turn for the worst. It shows multiple Sicarios arriving at a prison in Ciudad Victoria in Tamaulipas and then shooting dead two police officers. The video then skips forwards and shows two Zetas being interrogated by Sicarios in a wooded area. They are then shot and dumped on a roadside. The video then ends with another message saying the following, For all of those Zeta assholes that are getting involved in Ciudad Victoria, the only person in command is Comandante Diablo under the orders of Comandante Raider Reyes. By this point in time, in mid-2011, the war with Los Metros was dying down and the Rojos primarily focused on battling Los Zetas, though under the instruction of El Chapo in Sinaloa and not the Gulf Cartel. Shortly after the first video was released, on a late night in Ciudad Victoria, authorities discovered 10 dismembered bodies 
the victims were believed to be Los Angeles members, and alongside the bodies was a narco banner which read the following, these are only the first ten of yours to fall. If you don't stop messing around in Ciudad Victoria, you and all of your dogs will be dead soon to Z40 and his rats. This was a brazen and brutal call-out of the Zetas, and with support from Sinaloa, Los Rojos continued to be the aggressors in the escalating conflict. On the 14th of May 2012, Los Rojos struck again. They uploaded a video to YouTube titled Comandante Diablo and Comandante Raider Reyes have fun with Los Zetas. The video was uploaded by an account by the name of Anim Trent. It's unclear whether this video is still available online. Allegedly, the video starts with a Sicario beheading a teen while he's still alive and then carving a Z on his stomach to show that he was a Zeta. It then cuts to two older men, Zeta Sicarios. One is shot in the head and then his arms and legs are chopped off. The other man is beheaded and his head is held up to the camera before the video ends. Interestingly enough, back in the day, in the late 2000s and early 2010s, the cartels would use YouTube to upload their grisly footage, mainly because back in the day, YouTube were quite slow in dealing with such content, so videos like this could be up for quite a few days before they were eventually deleted. But nevertheless, the actions of Comandante Raider Reyes and Comandante Diablo were starting to attract attention, not only from law enforcement, but more importantly, from the Zetas, and Comandante Diablo would soon find this out. Following the release of the second video to YouTube, the Zetas had to respond, and they responded by leaking the identity of Comandante Raider Reyes and Comandante Diablo, Raider Reyes' identity being Juan Reyes, and Diablo's identity being Hugo Alberto Banderas Padilla. The Zeta hit squads were looking to hunt them down, or hunt down anybody associated with them. Given the Zeta's brutal efficiency, they would achieve exactly that just a couple months after the YouTube video was released. In early July of 2012, a new video was released, but this time by the Zetas. The video itself is around six and a half minutes long, and it's shot in what appears to be a dark house. Four victims can be seen kneeling on the ground, three women and one man. They are surrounded by multiple men, dressed in all black, with their faces covered. They are carrying assault rifles, and their clothes adorn the Zeta's logo. The first minute of the video is a brief interrogation, and the victims confirm that they are related to Comandante Diablo. To be precise, one was his mother, one was his brother, one was his sister, and one was his sister-in-law. They confirm that their surname is <coughs> Padilla. Once they confirm their identities, they have their mouths sealed with duct tape, and at this point, the lead interrogator looks to the camera and says, Look, Comandante Diablo, here is your shit family. Now, this is where the video takes a turn for the worse. As mentioned, all four 
of Diabolo's family members are kneeling on the ground and they are instructed to lower their heads, almost like they are in a praying position. One of the Zephyrs then grabs a wooden 2x4 plank and proceeds one by one to knock out Commandante Diabolo's family members and the sound this makes as the wooden plank is hitting the skull of each victim is sickening. He knocks out two of the women with one hard swing. The other woman takes two hits, whereas the man takes three. Again, the sound this makes is sickening. Once the victims have all been knocked out, the Zetas, with knives and machetes, proceed to behead each one of the victims one by one. And, you know, this isn't a quick process. There's a lot of hacking, a lot of slashing, it sounds like one of the victims wakes up midway through and you hear some faint gargling, some faint muffles kind of thing. It's a really gruesome video, but also it's very eerie because when the Zetas were talking to each other, they were whispering, which leads me to believe that this was the home of the family. And yeah, essentially this was a home invasion. They were making sure not to make too much noise, hence why the victims were gagged and knocked out before they were executed. Ultimately, the Zetas had sent their bloody message, but Commandante Diablo was on the warpath looking for revenge, and that's exactly what he got. A couple of weeks after Diablo's family were murdered, a new video was released. It depicted the brutal torture and murder of an alleged Losata member the video opens up with a slide containing a message from Commandante Diablo. This message really does highlight how far gone Commandante Diablo was and how ingrained he was in the violent and sadistic nature of the narco world. The message reads the following, You already fucked my family up, but no problem, we all know what business we are in. You will cry blood, and we'll see who's more of a badass, you fucking assholes? And all the dirty motherfucking Zetas are going to get fucked up, along with their families. You already did that to me, so now it's my turn. Once the intro segment is done, we get to the actual video, and the video itself is around eight minutes long. The first part of this video is the execution. It's actually been dubbed with a song by the name of Habanera, it's a classical music piece, which you would have heard before, but ultimately, it gives this video a really, really creepy vibe. The video is edited in a weird fashion, so it plays the execution with the music, and then it plays the interrogation and replays the execution, this time with no music, so you can actually hear what's going on. The interrogation isn't all that revealing, the Zeta reveals that his name is Mario Alberto and that his role within the Zeta organization is being a Halcone, which is basically a lookout. He also confirms that several taxi drivers who work in Ciudad Victoria are also lookouts for the Zetas. Towards the end of the interrogation, one of the Sicarios makes the following statement. This is what's going to happen to all of the people who keep supporting the dirty Zetas. You are scared and can't fight this war no more. You ain't worth a fuck. The Sicario 
then turns around to the victim and says, say sorry to Comandante Diablo and Comandante Rey de Reyes. The Vezetha replies, I'm sorry Comandante Diablo and Senor Rey de Reyes. Forgive me for being part of this filth. The Sicario closes the interrogation with the following statement. For all of the people still supporting this filth, go fuck yourself. Comandante Diablo is coming for you. This is where the violence ensues. The victim is kneeling down on the ground with his hands tied behind his back and he's wearing a yellow blindfold. One of the Sicarios holds the victim still from behind and then another Sicario comes in shot, kneels down and tries to open the victim's mouth, which he does and he cuts out the victim's tongue. Due to the video quality, it's hard to tell which uh, tool he used, but it looks like a knife. As this is happening, blood leaks down the victim's chest. He tries to scream, but due to what is happening to him, it's muffled. As the torture is happening, one of the Sicarios can be heard maniacally laughing. Once the victim's tongue has been removed, the Sicario then takes a long knife and starts slitting the victim's throat. As this is happening, the victim lets out a guttural screech, but because his tongue has been removed, it makes it sound even worse. At this point, one of the Sicarios can be heard saying, kill him like a dog. This is going to happen to all of you filthy people. Keep supporting them arseholes. Comandante is going to kill you all. Long live El Diablo Caleros. This is from Comandante Rey de Reyes. As the video continues, the Sicarios completely behead the victim. One of the Sicarios can be seen kicking the severed head, to which another lets out a laugh. And that is where the video ends. It's an extremely brutal watch. After this video, the war between Los Etas and the Sinaloa cartel was heating up. And as you know, at this time, the Zetas and the Gulf cartel were engaged in outright carnage. So the situation during this time period was a violent clusterfuck. In fact, the Zetas during this time were so much of a problem that the Sinaloa cartel and the Gulf cartel tried to arrange a pact to help fight off the Zeta hit squads. In fact, cartel leaders from both organizations organized a meeting, but certain members, certain individuals of the Gulf cartel wanted nothing to do with Sinaloa and they ambushed the meeting. At this point in time, the then leader of Cartel de Sinaloa, El Chapo, cut all ties with the Gulf Cartel. As for Comandante Rey de Reyes and Comandante Diablo, their current whereabouts is unknown. The Los Rojos faction over the years essentially disintegrated into nothing. There are rumors that Comandante Diablo was killed in 2013 However, nothing concrete, and as for Rey de Reyes, it's believed that he is still a free man. In fact, he still has a bounty on his head from law enforcement. Ultimately, the story of Comandante Diablo and Comandante Rey de Reyes is an all-too-familiar one in the cartel world. A story of the violent pursuit of 